What's up, guys? This is Ryan Flanagan, and you're listening to my one-on-one podcast presented by Lacrosse All-Stars. Today, we've got Scott Rogers, the big rig of the Ohio machine, joining us. Scott's going to tell us about what it was like growing up and playing lacrosse in Wonton, New York, and then take us through his recruiting process, you know, what it was then versus what it is now. He, he was one of the earlier guys when he went through it. Then the ups and downs of being a goalie at Notre Dame and in the MLL. You, you always hear about goalies making big saves, but but there's the other side of it, too, when, when they're giving up those last-second goals like we saw Scott do against Duke uh, back in 2010 in the national championship. And then, finally, where his passion is. For those guys that know, know Scott Rogers, he's one of the most passionate guys in our sport, loves the game, loves being a leader, and, and loves developing athletes. So we'll get a chance to hear from Scott about you know, where all that comes from. Scott Rogers, thanks for joining us, man. A pleasure to have you with us. Yes, sir, man. Pumped to be here. It's uh, when we started this thing up with with lacrosse all stars. You know, you were definitely one of the guys at the front of the conversation of people that have good lacrosse stories, and you know, just following you on social media. And, and I've been a fan of yours since I was growing up, just being a Long Island guy. And we've done some camps together. I've seen you playing, and couldn't be more excited to just give people the opportunity to learn more about you know who Scotty Rogers is and and his whole background. So how old were you when you started playing lacrosse? Seven. I, I was seven years old. I remember because I was, I was, I was messing around at, up at the Levittown Red Devils youth football fields, and I remember that guy approached me for the Levittown Tomahawks. So and, that's uh, uh, yeah. that's. I grew up. I'm a West Islip guy. It's, those are not. That's not Chaminade. That's not St. Anthony's. That's not <laughs> Manhasset and Garden City. You know what? What kind of makes Wanta? What kind of makes MacArthur and Levittown and, and those areas? You know. How is that so much different? We talk, you talked about your dad and your mom, but what is the attitude of a kid coming from MacArthur versus, versus more or less the stereotype of of a Chaminade or a Manhasset or you know we hear all about the MIAA and and that that part of the lacrosse world, but there's also the the part of the lacrosse world like the MacArthur kids and like the Levittown kids and the Hicksville kids. You know what what is that difference that you see at in the style of play? You could you could you could see it. I I think you know I I don't like to. It, it almost sounds like a negative, but it's not. It's just we're very like we. I, I grew up with steel cages, like fence, like fence steel cages as practice cages that were like literally two hundred pounds to move. So we'd have to like move those into like a dirt crease. So that's yeah. what we had in West Islip, and now <laughs> living in Charlotte, North Carolina, we can't we can't beg for one of those things. And that's what we grew up with. That was all we knew. <laughs> yeah, when you used to when you used to like snipe a corner, it would bounce back to you, and you'd be like, "Wow, I just sniped the corner," you know? Yep, so, yep. It's definitely not tickling <laughs> twine like you hear when you have these nice brand new nets. Yeah. So I think that stuff, man. I think that kind of stuff. You know, move, just even moving the cages before practice, it takes five guys. Uh, you know, you're just trying to get ready for just to start the practice. So you're kind of excited to play. You know, you know, the guy, the Hicksville, the MacArthur, the division. I think Tommy Davis was a player I always um, played with that played at Division Avenue. He went on to play at Princeton. Um, and then Bobby McCauley from Hicksville. Nick Tintle, you played with the Carolina. Yep. Um, so, you know, those type of guys, man. They're just, you know, bring your lunchbox, go to work. And no, no excuses. Same as West Islip guys, just that kind of different, that different background, I think it is. I think that's very important to have that, that kind of earn what you do and, and you never get, you never get given anything. And that's important, I think. Yeah. I mean, you, you've kind of taken that throughout your, you can see it now. And, and like I said, talking to you, getting to know you, it's definitely the approach you have today. 
what was it that drew you to lacrosse then? Because because you're a guy that could have done. I mean, you have the size and the physical attributes to play all these other sports. Why was it lacrosse? You know, what kind of pushed you to lacrosse instead of going to be a football? I mean, you obviously would have been a great football player. You have the size to play any sport. What was it about lacrosse that that pulled you in? I, you could tell because when you love a sport, it, it's a little easier to do. It's easier to go to practice, friends. I think football was something I was I was I was good at. Uh, I wasn't great, but I was I always worked hard and I was big. I was a defensive end. Uh, I got, you know, some one double A football offers from, you know, Delaware, uh, Hofstra, Iona, like those kind of schools. And it was just one of those things where if I could play lacrosse, you know, and kind of keep my parents from paying, uh, you know, at the time, $60,000, if I could do that. And a lot of kids don't care about scholarship now because they're, you know, lacrosse is pretty white collar still. Um, but if I could relieve a, f- a financial burden after my, f- you know, my parents kind of sacrificed all these travel team expenses when it was the beginning of what it is now. Now it's just madness. Um, and all that stuff, I said, why not, you know, put all your energy and focus towards doing the right thing and and trying to get a trying to get a scholarship. I always tried to play for it's weird to say that I always tried to play for a scholarship because it gave me a goal. And I think that goal kind of helped me stay focused throughout my youth into Empire team, into high school, into college. So that's, that's what kind of drove me. So you talked about the club experience and, and I'm involved in it. You're involved in it, doing the camp circuit and, and being involved in the growth of the game today. What was it like, you know, when you were growing up, you mentioned the Empire State team. What was the recruit? What was the summer scene like when you were going through the process? What was the recruiting process like? And I know about the Empire State team, but but what was? How did that all work? You know, within the the bigger picture of recruiting in Long Island. Oh, so it was awesome. So for me, I my my memories of youth lacrosse are awesome because I played with the same group of guys from Long Island uh, Metro which was a travel team back then. And Joe Baccarella was our coach. And we stayed together through Long Island Sting, who was our first our first um, travel team. And then we played, we all made the empires basically. So essentially it was like myself, Charlie Parr were the goalies, um, you know, Colin Molinari, Gavin Petraka, Pat Parrott, Bobby McCauley, Nick Tinto. Like we had all these guys that, that honestly went on to, you know, play division one level, but we all stayed together within a, a year or two of each other um and that was that was an awesome experience to see to see us play and beat up we were really good i mean our our our, our gold squad for for uh long island sting was just like division one long island guys that would just you know my i remember my first experience was i played in the petty tournament um that national indoor tournament that's how i got my first recruiting look i was a freshman and phil spinella who played at comswog was the starting goalie and I backed him up, actually, as a freshman. And Craig Dowd, Kyle Dowd, all these guys, um, Drew Thompson, all these guys that were Long Island legends, Brett Koretsky from Northport. I, I remember these guys like like yesterday. Yep. We, we, You know, we kind of, I just looked up to those guys. I was like, wow, I'm playing. That's when I kind of knew maybe I had a shot because I was playing as a freshman with uh, – with some of these guys that were going to Duke and, and, and all these schools, I was like, let's, you know, let's, let's see how far this thing could go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when was it that, that you started to take those official visits when, when you committed to Notre Dame and what other schools were kind of in the mix there? So I got my first letter. I remember I was into high school. I was at MacArthur high school running the hallways as a freshman. And I remember coach Ferguson, who was my high school head coach says, come to my office. And he had a, an envelope in his hand and it was, it looked like a general kind of, now I look at it, it's like a general recruiting letter, but it was like from Maryland. And it was like, Scott Rogers, you have been, you know, 
selected to come to our, you know, our recruiting day. And I was like, wow, this is huge. I was only a ninth grader and I didn't even start the season yet, but I went on to honestly have a, I, th- I was a four-time All-County at MacArthur, which I think is I think at the time was pretty rare as a as a freshman. Um, four-time All-County and two-time All-American at MacArthur High School, which we didn't win any Long Island championships or or anything. But um, the coaching staff was great, and I played with guys like Nick Tintel, Steve Waldeck, uh, Craig uh, Capadoro, Jason Capadoro. Um, so Tintel's a guy. So that that's two guys. So MacArthur High School, which isn't like you said, it, it's not one of the powerhouse names. It's not somebody you hear about every day yet. Scott Rogers, Stephen Waldeck, and Nick Tindall are, are three guys that are still playing. Nick Tindall just gets added to the Denver Outlaws a few days ago. You know, so, so three guys from one high school team on a what's not really considered a powerhouse team on Long Island. I would, I mean, you could you could argue that going above 500 is a pretty good year. And yeah, yeah. So I, I remember when me, Steve, and, and and Nick played together. We played together for one year, all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a junior. Steve, Steve was a sophomore. Nick was a senior. I had. We played Long Beach. I had we won four to three. We won four three at MacArthur. <laughs> I had I had twenty eight saves. Nick had four goals, and Steve had like probably like seven takeaways. And I remember making a save, looking for either Steven or Nick. No slight to my other teammates at the time, but those were the guys I always looked at ball because Nick played everything. Nick played attack. Nick played midi um defense sometimes so i just remember winning that game and i was like this is an unbelievable feeling because long beach was pretty good an a school Mm -hmm. and we won four three (laughs) we won four to three and i remember like wow we're gonna have to do a lot of work and we did it i mean we had a good we went to the my junior year we went to the second round of the playoffs and we lost to limbrook when they had mike doniger so yeah so we, we we had some success for what we had, and we had some good role players around us too. But that was the three guys that I remember that were that were pretty pretty awesome. And, and to put it in perspective, like you said, two time All American on Long Island. I mean, that, that's that's a very select. That's that's a pretty selective group. Four time All County, as you said, that not many guys do that. And, and for the people that don't understand how Long Island works, I mean, you, the MIAA, you'd have your All MIAA team, and, and then when you get into the county. You obviously have a lot more teams on Long Island and in and, and Nassau County and Suffolk County, but but being a four-time All-County guy, I mean, I, West Islip, that that never happened. I mean, you know some of the guys that played there, yeah, or yeah. Melville, that never happens. I mean, you have two-time All-County, three-time All-County guys, but but just from how competitive the island is, I mean, it just it, it, even today still very rare. So yeah, so I rem I remember that that moment where coach said i'm going to put your name in at the end of the season for all county and i was like man i know how this works i'm not going to get a sniff at all county you know we played garden city that year we played uh wanta who had pat walsh um farmandale that team that that golden team they had with danowski and panarelli um i just remember thinking what's the worst that happens you know the worst they say all right next year i get all conference and i try again the next year but i think that kind of springboarded me forward after i put a little bit of a target on my back being a a freshman all county from a school that doesn't usually compete that high at a level and i just think that always drove me since then because i never wanted to be looked down upon because i went to mcgarth because i was proud of my high school I was proud of my teammates and I was very proud of my town I grew up in. And I always felt like there was always like, oh, the guy from the goalie from MacArthur or something. So I remember going forward. I always tried to be better. I think I finished my career at MacArthur with 998 saves, which is like fourth on the all time list. And 
that I know those stats because I, I remember I remember how how the chip on my shoulder was so big that it weighed me down. I remember how how every everything from those times. I I just think that kind of always drove me even going into college, like to go forward. So you're a kid from MacArthur going to Notre Dame. I and mean, when you look at the two from the outside, I mean, it's almost as different as it gets. What was the thought process and, and what kind of drove you? And, and it doesn't get much better academically. And I know that was important to you. You know, where is that decision to go from MacArthur to Notre Dame? And, and then once you got to Notre Dame, what was it like? Because you really are in almost two different worlds from the outside. <laughs> so it was funny because I, I, rem- <laughs> I, I remember going, th- I had shoe boxes full of letters and I was all, that was a great experience because I, I was a two-time Long Island Empire team member. Um, and I remember the shoebox. We were starting to get to that time where you had to make a, a commitment. And and this was uh, not it, not like it is today, right? So when, when we hear commitment today, we think freshman, sophomore year of high school, if not at this point, when you're starting to think about kids committing earlier. When was that time when, when you really committed to Notre Dame? Towards the end of my sophomore year, I started really feeling like if I could get this done, uh, it would relieve a little stress from myself and my family. And it would, you know, it was kind of at the time it was, consuming my life where I'm, I'm, I'm getting letters. I'm getting, you know, I, I never went to any goalie camps. So I was like, my style was pretty unique as far as I never went to like a bill pilot goalie camp. I never went to, I never really learned how to play goalie from somebody else, but I always had my own little twist to it. Um, so schools were, I think my top four was uh, Maryland, Syracuse, Johns Hopkins. My mom went to high school with uh, the uh, Seth Tierney at the time was the coach there. And my mom went to high school with Seth Tierney. I'm a Arthur and uh, and obviously Notre Dame was a dark horse because my dad it's a funny story my dad worked under his dad Pat Walsh's dad at in Rikers Island which uh, Pat Walsh's father was a warden and my dad was just a CEO, like a correction officer. And I remember Mr. Walsh was always telling my dad, like, hey, you got to check out Notre Dame. Like, Pat's there. It's up on the rise. These guys are getting good. Pat, I think Pat was the first. DJ Driscoll, Pat Walsh were the first guys that were scholarshiped there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I remember just in the them kind of just jumping, like creeping up my list, you know. And then I just remember going on my visit. And I, I was like, you know what, Dad, let's go. When will I ever get to go to Notre Dame and go see a football game? And we went. And I went to a practice. I met the coaches. And I I could not believe. I knew right then and there everything kind of felt right. And I was like, Dad, I want to come here. Like, this environment for athletics and academics is like, I won't have this I won't have this opportunity anywhere else without lacrosse. And, and you, you, you hit on it there and just – it. You and I know this, the situation, but but Notre Dame was not fully funded long before that all started for you. I mean, it, it was relative. When we say fully funded, we mean have the full amount of scholarships, the 12 and a half scholarships. To get. That wasn't the case, you know, say four or five years before you were ready to go, was it? No. So those guys were, they went to a final four in 2001 with a bunch of guys that were not scholarship. To me, a pretty awesome selling point. I don't know if many people that would sell, but that for me, coming from where I came from, it showed that the the coaching staff developed their players. And to me, that was one of those things that was very important to me because I was pretty raw, like I said. And I felt like I could leave there a better person, a better uh, player, and I think I would have some connections for life that I wouldn't have if I did not go there. So that was definitely one of the the pitches for me as far as like once I did it, I knew it was right, and I had no regrets once I did it. So you get to Notre Dame, 
first two years play a little bit you don't you don't play a ton your junior year comes in your red shirt which a lot i mean everybody thinks i'm gonna i mean you're you're wide-eyed when you step onto a college campus sam or when you're in the recruiting process i'm gonna start off four years i'm gonna get out of here be one of the best players ever win national championships but you're you're experience your path was a little different you know take us through those first two years and then that decision to redshirt as a junior yeah so this is this is really what what kind of stays with me for life is this process right now because i remember coach coddle was coaching in maryland at the time and he told my dad straight forward your son's gonna redshirt a year behind harry alfred if he comes here but he'll eventually play here or compete to play and at the time i remember i was the number three ranked goalie recruiting inside lacrosse so i was Joe Pike was above me, who went to Harvard and had a good career. But I remember telling my dad, no, I don't want a red shirt. And it was ironic because when I got to Notre Dame, I redshirted. So um, when I committed, Joey Kemp was not playing yet. Who was the goalie above me. Was a, you know, we'll go into how good he was. But he, I was supposed to go into a 50-50 battle for the starting spot. If I came in, he was a sophomore, I'd be a freshman. But what happened my senior year was uh it was a game at cornell and the goalie at the time was Stuart crosland who was an all gwll goalie for notre dame and coach corgan pulled him and put i remember keeping track of the game and being like whoa joey kemp's in whoa joey kemp played really well and then from that point on through my senior year of high school i tracked every game joey played every game and Stuart didn't play so i was in the back of my head i was like uh-oh what did i do the picture quickly changes, right? It just right there. I was already locked in. And I was, like I said, my father, if anyone that knows me knows my dad, there was no chance I was backing out of my commitment to Notre Dame because we're like a family that, you know, you give your word. Loyalty is pretty big, a big thing for us. So I gave my word. I signed, you know, my letter. I'm going. And I remember just being like shifting a gear halfway through my senior high school and saying, all right, well, it's on. I'm going to have to show that I deserve to play. And I, that, that was the next phase of like, you gotta, you gotta drive yourself and push yourself a little bit harder here because it's going to be an uphill battle for you until he graduates, which would be your junior, your junior year. So I just remember that conversation I was having with myself. And as you went through it, like so you got there in two years and, and your junior year comes and, you still weren't the starter and your decision to redshirt and and was that made? I mean, that was a decision made so that you would be the guy for two years. Was it? Yeah, that was like one of those. I, once Joey got his first all American, I was like, I got to go, you know, coach was like, we got to talk. And I was like, all right, well, obviously we would have scrimmages in practice where honestly it would be at the end of practice. We scrimmage every 10 minutes for the last 10 minutes. And I would remember that being my showtime every game, every day. And I remember, Every day I'd be like, if it's 3-2, if it's 2-1, if it's 4-3, if I keep it close, if I beat him, it's a win for me. And I, those small victories, they might not add up and he'll never get replaced, but it keeps building that confidence in the coaching staff that when he leaves, we're in good hands. And I think I, I, that was what kind of – that along with weightlifting, honestly, like I got really – everyone jokes around about my – if you follow me on social media, I'm pretty uh, into weightlifting and I'm a strength coach. But that hobby for me is what got me through a pretty tough time in Notre Dame where I was not playing at all and shifted my efforts to that and my anger and frustration to that because I did never I never wanted to be a cancer to my team. I never wanted to be a distraction for my team. And I've, I've always, if you talk to Joey, I've always been a good friend, 
we still talk to this day. And on the field, we wanted to kill each other and compete like it was a national championship. And that stuff paid off. And, and the Scotty Rogers, I know the Scotty Rogers, so many guys know that the guy you were then. And, and as you, you, you can tell when, when you meet, when anybody meets you today and, and when anybody plays on a team with you today, what you learned throughout that process, it, it, that's who you are today. And, and that brought you to 2010. And, and you had a great year as a junior. In 2010, you lead Notre Dame to the national championship game, which from my standpoint, I think for a lot of people, that was you, Notre Dame was always a really good team. But, but when I remember and when I think about Notre Dame, it's that 2010 national championship game with Scotty Rogers having 61% Sixty percent, you know, saving the ball throughout the season, carrying the team into the final four, and and playing lights out in the national championship game. What was that like your senior year, two thousand ten? Just taking, in my view, and I think a lot of people's view, taking Notre Dame kind of to the next level in, in the program's history. It was it was different, man, because like a lot of people don't remember my first season. The coming out party was two thousand nine, and it was we went fifteen and zero, and we went fifteen and zero in the GWLL, and that was my first year starting. I, I saved the ball at 66.8% that season, and we lost to Maryland in the first round of the playoffs, 7-3. to three. And the chip on my shoulder from after that point, that's when people started recognizing that I, I was kind of the maybe the real deal after Joey left. And I remember 2010 was actually a very tumultuous and very weird season for us because we lost some games that we shouldn't have lost. We were favored like top eight or top five preseason, and we lost to Rutgers. We lost to um, Fairfield, and those are good teams, but at the time, we thought we could we should have won. And I remember we were 7-7 seven seven going into that, 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 uh, play, that playoff selection, and we were the bubble team. And the only reason we got in was because we beat Duke the first game of the year on February 20th, like seven to three or something. And I remember getting in and looking at my teammates and I went, fellas, clean slate, you know, erase the chalkboard. Uh, it was my fifth year. So I was 20 going on 23 years old. I was like, listen, we need to be, we need to be the best team in this tournament. And we have an opportunity. Nobody thinks we're any good. We might as well make this count. And I remember we took every game individually. And nobody nobody understands the feeling of a team that it's something special. I can't even describe it. It's like every game you're I was seeing the beat I was seeing a beach ball. Now I've read a couple books now. It's called Being in the Being in the Zone. And I remember I think I was in the zone because I remember my teammates and, and, and I looking each other in the eye after every game, being like, let's go. Like we're gonna win, we're gonna beat. So we beat Princeton, and we, they were ranked eighth. We beat Maryland, they were ranked four. We beat Cornell, and then we beat all these ranked teams in the, in the playoffs. And I was like, we could do this thing in, in the championship. We could, we could actually beat Duke. I think again, and we beat them before, and we beat them early. And notoriously, notoriously, you know this as being a, a analyst. Duke is not very good in the beginning of the year. Usually now they are, but it, back in the day, they would start off slow every year and lose a couple in February. And then at, by the end of the year, they're a whole different team. Yep. yep. So, <laughs> so I remember going, all right, this is a lot better of a Duke team, but we've beat them before. It's the same dudes across from them and we could, we could beat these guys. 
So you're playing tight game the whole, all throughout five five game. You're playing lights out. I think you you probably had fifteen sixteen saves. We're going to overtime. I, I was in the stadium and I it was one of the more fun games I've ever been able to watch and been around. First face off and and this moment will live in lacrosse history forever. And, and you were on the other side of it, unfortunately. But first face off, CJ Costable from Duke wins it. Fast break, long pull coming down right at you scores it and Duke wins their national championship and, and goes on their tear for a couple of years. And, and you're there. What, what is that like? You know, take us back. So, yeah. All right. So as a defensive player, thank you. Cause I, you appreciate that kind of a game. I know a lot of people hated that game, but for us, it, that's the game you want. Um, you know, I remember Justin Turry scored a goal on me five hole that I would want back. That's probably the only goal I want back in that game. Um, and I remember the game, the, the game was playing into our hands. It was, it was what we've been doing kind of that year was smothering. Kevin Ridgeway was uh, kind of neutralizing Ned Crotty, who's a, a phenomenal player. And Kevin Randall had Max Quinzani. So their attack was kind of taken out of the equation. Now, their middies were very athletic. And I remember us, our offense was, was, was scrapping like they did all tournament to, to do what they did. And timely goals for us were key. And I just remember we weren't losing face-offs. We weren't losing much. Like, we were 50%. So there was no reason for us on that face-off in overtime. There was no reason for us to put our our best athlete on the wing, Dave Earl, and our other uh, best ground ball guy, Andrew Irving. There was no reason for us to retreat them into the hole because we weren't losing clean face-offs all game. Those guys were battling. I remember at the X, they were going round and round in circles, and it was like 20-second draws a pop. So there was no reason for us to do that, and I remember tapping my pipes. I, I always do my same little superstitious tap and turning around, and the whistle blowing, and I was like, whoa, he's coming. And he was coming right down dead center. Uh, CJ is a great athlete, so for us, we knew he could score. For me, I played the odds, which is a lot of long poles come over the top. He put his stick up, but most of the time, they like to put that ball high to low, which is a really hard trajectory. So I remember kind of going through my Rolodex of shots that I've watched on film previously, and I went off hip, kind of off foot on that save, and he went uh, stick side shoulder. And I knew right when he released it, when I saw the trajectory of that ball, I was like, God damn it. I did not. Oh, I did not read that shot correctly. And it was a great shot. I mean, he stuck it. But I just remember those guys running at me full speed. Their whole bench was running to the crease. And I was like, this is a moment where you could either be a sore loser or you could kind of hold your head up high and walk to your teammates or run to your teammates. And the ride we had was something I'll never forget between a group of guys, 50 guys. I will never forget the that whole ride being in Baltimore for three or four weeks. And I will never forget that. I that role, that all flashed through my head actually in that 30 seconds where those guys were rushing and jumping on each other in celebration for, for CJ. And I also thought about, you know what? My dad's friends with CJ's dad. CJ's dad's a firefighter. (laughs) CJ's a blue collar kid like myself. You know, nothing in that moment made me angry except for I didn't save the ball and we lost. And, uh, you know, everybody always asked me that question, like, hey, you know, how does that feel? I was like, well, how do you think it feels, A, but, <laughs> you know, at the, at the same time, at the same time, you're like, somebody's got to win, somebody's got to lose. I mean, it's 5-5. Five, five. <laughs> like, somebody's gonna, somebody was going to do it either way. Mm. So that's what I remember. It wasn't as dramatic, I think, as people. It, obviously, it was the 
worst feeling as far as losing. Was it the worst feeling of my life? No, uh, it, it was one of the best experiences of my life with those with those fifty guys. I've never been a part of something. I don't think I ever will feel that again. So you look back on that moment in, in my shoes, and, and like I said, it was that that one play, and it feels like Notre Dame's been in the national championship ever since. I mean, you go to Final Four every weekend or every year. Sorry, and it, it seems like they're right in the mix, and and maybe there's a down year, but they're still in the playoffs. Like I said, for me, looking back and just following the sport, it, it was like that was the launch pad. Um, what is your view? I mean, wh- when are they going to turn the corner? Are they getting closer? You know, where do you see that Notre Dame team from from when you left to where it is today? I think changing conferences, like I went through a conference change where we rent, we used to compete in the GWLL. I think that was a competitive conference with Denver and, and, um, Ohio and Ohio State was in Ohio there. State. That was in Butler used to have a team. Yeah. So there were some teams that people, for some reason, people didn't respect the will and we won the conference twice when I was there, but there were some players that were unbelievable. And then we transitioned 2010 first year in the big East and Syracuse and all the big boys, Georgetown, we were in that conference, which was a little bit more respected. And now they're in this ACC. And I, I can tell you, I've never seen a more athletic Notre Dame team. Uh, these guys are, <laughs> they're a lot bigger than, you know, if I was the big guy at the time, I think they got a lot of big guys now. You know, they are so fast and skilled. I just, I think this could be the year for them. Honestly, I know we say that, I think either year, last year could have been the year too. Uh, the talent they have is just off the charts. And Coach Byrne and Coach Corrigan are honestly like, Coach Byrne is one of the best defensive minds I've ever been around. But Coach Corrigan has changed and adapted for a coach that's been at Notre Dame for 23, 24 years. He's changed and adapted to the game that it is now and that's why their offense is so well is so so well coached and so so talented you've got so you have the team today you've got you know you're in the final four you're, you're back in your shoes where you were in 2010 do you give the ball to Sergio Perkovic or do you give it to Matt Cavanaugh? <laughs> uh, man. Uh, you know, if, if they get a play where they could get Sergio ahead of steam from the box I'd give that ball to Sergio I'll let him run and gun if it's uh if they're going to settle it in the six on six, you get that ball to Kavanaugh and you let him, he's like a cerebral assassin out there. Uh, he, he could, he could do some things. He, his IQ and talent. Uh, I think you give the ball to him. He's another, I mean, he, he plays with that. Like you said, both those guys, but really Kavanaugh, he, I mean, he plays that blue collar. I'm going right at you. I'm not afraid of anything style that I know you're a huge fan of. Yeah. And he's, you know, I'm a little biased cause he's a long Island guy. So I, I want to see the ball on a stick. So, <laughs> so you're going into year seven in the MLL. If, if, if I've counted my years, correct. Is this the highest level? Is, is the MLL the highest level of lacrosse? League? No doubt. Uh, no doubt. I, <laughs> I get anxiety every season because I love the game. I love playing at this level. Uh, I still obviously believe I could I could hack it and play well at this level. But if you look at these offensive guys, I mean, you and I are playing an uphill battle. And these guys are so talented, so fast, and, and just could shoot the ball on the money. Uh, you know, this has to be the, one of the most talented pools of players right now that, that we've had. I, and that's no slight to the, to, to the guys that have played in the past. You know, we respect those guys like no other. But the amount of talent on each team right now is, is, is very high. And, you know, obviously with those veterans that are still playing, like Casey Powell and John Grant Jr., I think those guys kind of make everybody realize, you know, respect what the game is because they still could do it. And, you know, we're still getting guys that are rookies that are just, you know what, big, fast, strong, 
can shoot the ball very hard. And I think that's important. We had uh, we had Marcus Holman on an earlier podcast and, and Marcus and I were both talking about how making it to year 10 in the MLL for us, like if we can get to year 10, we're like, you know what? That's a that's an accomplishment. I mean, we, that was something for the two of us. Like, let's shoot for that 10th year. And we, as we're talking about, Casey Powell's just turned 40 years old. <laughs> we respect those guys. Like you said, what they're doing is incredible, but, but you've been here going, like I said, going in seven years, talk about the change from when you first got into the league to, to how many guys we see today that are, and you mentioned about high, how high the level of play is the, the number of guys you see today that are doing this full-time, whether that be our full-time lacrosse, I like to call them full-time lacrosse people. They're, they're coaching club programs they're coaching college teams. They're, they're trainers like yourself. Mike Manley's a, a, a trainer. You know, how many guys are, if you could put a percentage on it, would you say, what was the shift from when you started to full-time professional lacrosse guys that we see that we're going to see this summer? I, I got it. I got to believe at least half the league is full-time, maybe 60%. I, I think there's guys that are like, I, like I do camps and goalie clinics all year round. And, you know, I always have my stick in my hands and for guys like Marcus Holman and Will Manny and those younger guys, those guys are literally doing shooting demos for for camps but they're actually getting reps so they're really never getting worse and they're always getting better i think that that's a huge difference from then you know when we started you know how it is some guys are coming right off you know merrill lynch jobs getting on a plane putting their cleats on and and you know trying to dust you know dust off the rust a little bit um i think there's no rust now I, I think guys are ready to go, and it, you could see that in the in the the scores and the. I think you could see it in the. I hate to say it because I'm a goalie. You could see it in the save percentages of uh, of the goalies in the league. And, and you know what it's like. I mean, you don't last in this league if you're not at least putting in the work. If you come in with rust, you're you're quickly showing the door out. Yeah, I mean, I, I've seen guys that are 25 years old that come in the training camp thinking they're just going to, you know, listen, I was a two-time All-American in college. I'm just going to come in and, and do my thing like I used to. And you, maybe that was the case. Maybe, you know, maybe you could have done that uh, eight years ago. But I, I know now there's no sh chance that if you do that, you're not going to be exposed in a training camp when a guy like, and my best example is a guy like Jimmy Daly, you know, who works his butt off all all day. I, I I live in Baltimore here. He is a D3 attackman at Stevenson back in the day, but his split dodge might be the best I've ever seen. And he makes guys trip over the net. And he's done that to a couple first and second team All-Americans on the regular at, camp, at training camp. So I think you can get exposed in this league if you don't do the right the right thing in the off season. And, and that's what we always say. There, there's no hiding in the MLL. You know, you, you could be a guy that had a good career, put up good stats somewhere, but, but if, and Marcus said it, you know, a few podcasts ago in the MLL, you've got to beat your guy. And if you can't beat your guy, and if you're not legit and you're not a guy that's here to play and has put the work in, you are quickly exposed. And like we said, it, it's just not going to last for you. It's not, it, it's really, honestly, it, it's one of those things where as a goalie, I've been, I've been on the, like my whole career, we've been talking about this for you know thirty minutes. I've I've been at the highest points of the game. I've been at low points in my career. And if you could get through those as a pro, if you could kind of have that mental toughness to to be a starter or maybe have an off season and still come back for more and play with a chip, I think you'll be very successful as a professional lacrosse player. And I've always I've always believed that. I think if you could go through those those ups and downs and try to find consistency, I think you will 
you will succeed at this high, at the highest level of the sport, which is what we play at. So, so you've been there. You, you, you've like we said in, in college, you, you didn't play your first two years, and you turned around and, and you became a, a two-time All-American and set a number of records at Notre Dame in the MLL. You've played in MLL championship games. You've played lights out in MLL championship games. Yeah, and you've you've not played, and you've been on the bench in, uh, during seasons, and you've been the backup. What can you tell young guys and young goalies or, or attackmen or defenders that are in that situation? You know, what advice do you give guys like that to help them get through it? Yeah, like that, my big when I do my camps, I try to tell my whole story, whether the parents like it or hate it, their kids are going to get it. Because I think that story of kind of listen, I've been a starter and had 14 saves in the first half of a, of a championship game against the Cannons in 2011. And I've also backed up and I've sat behind great goalies behind Brian Phipps the last two years. I I, I want to say I I want to believe that I pushed him to 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 play at that level and and I think he played at the highest level he's played at and he is an unbelievable stopper and goalie and I think Brett Queener the the team I was on before is another guy that's that he's going to have a ten year career in this league I, I I'm not ashamed of that I'm not ashamed of backing up those guys I think if you can put your pride aside and keep your eye on the ultimate goal, which is obviously winning and winning a championship with your team. But obviously for your personal success, what could you do better every off season to put yourself in a better situation to play? And, and that's how I've always approached this thing. That's how I've always approached this every summer is how, what do I need to work on to make sure that someone doesn't call me a system goalie from Notre Dame? That, that, that's my chip. That my chip is, I know what people say. I know what all the critics say. And I'm not one of those guys that tune them out. I, I like to use them. I, I, I let them feed me. And I kind of use it as fuel. So I, that's how I kind of approach it. And use it as fuel in a positive way. Do not ever become a bad teammate. I've been the unsung hero at Ohio for three years, three different times since I've been there. You got to be a good teammate. You need to be somebody that is positive, could joke around when the time being, and could get the attention and respect of your teammates when that 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 time is uh, you know passes. You, you just you kind of hit on it with with being a system guy. We're being being characterized as a system guy. We we don't see a lot of Notre Dame guys, specifically for for a school that's been that great defensively. There's just not a lot of Notre Dame guys in the MLL. What is it? I mean, is it a system? Is it just, you know, guys have, have had enough after college? You know, what what is it that we're not seeing? I mean, some of those guys just haven't lasted. You know, what what is your thought? I think like like you talk about, you talk about the MLL and how you need to just adapt. So if, if you're a short stick, if you're a, a close defenseman and you're like, for instance, Kevin Ridgway was a first team All-American close defenseman, but he got asked to play up top in Hamilton. Is he very successful up top? That's not his game, no. And But do you have to, in this league, you have to be able to adapt. And I think sometimes our guys have been put in situations what we're not used to. And I think that definitely puts us in positions where, like you said, you have that one-time audition sometimes. And I think that if you don't do well in that audition in our league, it's like eat or be eaten. And there's been a few guys that I know because it's not a system. It, is it a system? It's a system of trust because we all know what we're doing in our defense. And in the MLL, we have concepts, but you have talent. And when talent wants to go do what talent wants to do, there's usually a good result because there's so much talent running around the field. But in, I know in college, our system and our trust for our, our teammates in our system 
is what makes our defense so good at Notre Dame. We all know what where to get beat. We all know who's going when. We all know who's recovering, who's sliding. And it's like a well-oiled machine. And I think that's the difference. I don't like to call it a system because I think it's just a trust between our staff and our, our defense. So it just, it, like you said, it gets tough when, when you're in the MLL and, and you said it, there, there's concepts and there's athletes, but there's not, <laughs> not a system. And there's not a ton of, of real, like you said, you don't have the opportunity to, to force guys and, and to really play a certain way. So I think you, you spoke to it. It's, you don't have that opportunity. And, and you, you said it best. It is a one-time addition for a lot of guys. Yeah. Like I always say, like coach Davis is a great coach for us and he, is an offensive minded guy. So when he puts in a play, right, he likes to see the play ran to execution. But the thing is, if Tommy Schreiber wants to dodge and shoot past somebody, he's going to do that because he can do that. And that's where this league is different because if somebody has their shot, like Marcus will tell you, I think Marcus is adapted to this game like no other like he didn't do so he's a high energy i call him the, the 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 jitterbug because when he's out there he's always moving and constant energy and he's created some goals or some shots that i've just never seen before and you could ask him he's never done that in college but if he could beat a guy why not try to get the shot off and i, I think he's been one of those guys that you could see the the growth from or, or change from college game to the pro game is he creates his own shot. And that's what you have to have in this league to be successful. You, you hit it on the head. So you've been doing this for a bit. What are, what are some of the best memories, you know, as you, as you reflect back on your, your MLL career specifically, what is the stuff that, that you're going to look back on for years and years? Just say, wow, that was, that was really cool. That was really fun. So being traded to Ohio, I'll remember that year we were like two and 12 and and people think it's a negative memory but i've been a part of the growth to where we are now and last year was a very successful year for us another step in the right direction not exactly what we wanted to end the season with um but that's a great memory for me being a part of an organization that's was not respected because that's kind of where i grew up like so i kind of treat this ohio team like family because it kind of encompasses what i've kind of gone through and we went from a team with no respect to maybe a team that people thought, oh, they got lucky. They had a successful year two years ago. And then last year we solidified our, our talent and our, I think our respect, I think we've earned the respect of other teams. Um, and now we're just looking for the ultimate prize, which is a championship. And obviously that 2011 um, championship run with, with the nationals was something that Joe Walters and the, the roster we had, Brody Merrill is probably one of my Brody Merrill is one of the guys I look up to my whole career. And he's the epitome of what a professional lacrosse player should be. He is off the field on the field. I mean, the guy is the guy is a legend, man. I, I, I don't, you know, kiss butt like that, but he is somebody that I want to look at myself and say, I tried to be like him when I finished and hang my cleats up. When you're when you're still playing in the league and they know that the defensive player of the year award is going to be named after you whenever you decide to hang it up, <laughs> I'd say you've had a pretty good run at it. And, and that's absolutely yeah. what Brody's penciled himself in as, which is like you said, he does it better than anybody. Yeah. You know what it is, man? I, 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 I as a rookie, I came in as a young buck at 23 and he was older. And I remember being like, this guy, he's shredded. He could. He never takes a shift or a runoff. Like Steve Waldeck used to be like, I can't get on the field because Brody is not coming off the field, and Brody just wouldn't come off the field. He would like, he would like go to his knee with two hands, take a deep breath, and then like recharge. And 
he would never get tired. And I always thought to myself, this guy's a professional. Like, this is how you have to train. I always asked him, like, what are you doing in the offseason? He's like, well, I'm, you know, I run, I run with a, I have a strength conditioning coach. I'm always doing my, my lifting program. Um, and I'm like, well, that's the key. That's the, that's the recipe right there. Mm-hmm. So. Go in with a plan. Well, Scotty, we, so we had a saying, and this is one of my favorite things about, about you and, and getting to know you. We had a saying, you know, when I was in high school, when I was in college, that it was cool to care. And, and when I think of Scotty Rogers, that, that's one of the things I always think about. And you talked about your Instagram, your social media, where it, it is obvious to anyone right away that it's cool to care and it's cool to do the right things. And it's cool to be passionate about getting better, you know, and about kind of owning your crap, being a professional lacrosse player, being the, the best athlete you can be. And, and you're incredibly passionate about that stuff and the, the development of yourself and the kids you coach. Where does that come from? And, and you know, how is that something that, that you're going to continue doing for hopefully for a long time? I think it's our job as pros. We're at the highest level. So, I, you know, I think it's our job to kind of pass along the torch to this, this younger generation. And, you know, I just turned 29 years old and I'm still a big, you know, immature kid. But at the same time, the game is given a lot to me and 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 opened a lot of doors and a lot of friendships and made some some relationships that I'll have for life and I think it's our job you know I feel very passionately that it is our job to to give back to the sport to to for how much it's done for us I mean for me it's got me to college I like I said my parents are very blue collar without lacrosse I would never have gone to Notre Dame I probably would have gone to um if I wasn't any good at lacrosse, I probably would have gone to NASA Community College for two years and then figured out, you know, something else after that. And I know my biggest regret was Cornell, Coach Tambroni at the time, saying, Scott, your talent's off the charts. We want you to be a Cornell player, a goalie, but your grades, you have to retake your SATs. And I think if I could go back in time, in my in my time machine, I would have done a little more academically to make sure that no doors were closed to to me. And that's what I try to tell kids now is, yes, we can sit here and say, do your homework and do that. But if you really let lacrosse cultivate these these opportunities for you, you need to do academics. You need to do your athletic, you know, you need to achieve your athletic potential and unlock that. And I think when looking at colleges, you need to say what is going to unlock that potential and what is going to help me grow as a better man and what is going to help me be a, be a smarter person or better academically than I was when I got here. And I think that's the three things that I try to pass along now, along with passion and a desire and a love for the game. I think that's something you can't fake. And that's what, that's what I rest my hat on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Scotty, I appreciate it. We know, uh, like I said, I've been around you and you're coaching kids. I love it. I love everything you do on social media and, and your influence in the lacrosse community. So, so really can't thank you enough for joining us today and really looking forward to sharing your story with a lot of the, the, the lacrosse fans out there. I appreciate it, man. Sorry for, for sorry for the long-winded answers. Appreciate it. We love it. We love it. We want you to go into detail. Like I said, it, it's definitely valuable information for a lot of the young kids out there that are going to listen to us. So appreciate it. Have a good one. You too, man. There it is. Scotty Rogers, one of the most passionate guys in our sport. We said it in the intro. This is a guy who loves the game, loves to share his experience. And you can't help but get energized as Scott talks about what it was like playing at MacArthur High School and going on to Notre Dame and playing in the MLL. So really just a fun guy to talk to. And, and if you are you have the opportunity to, to meet Scott, to, to be at a camp that Scott's doing, it's something that, that is a really special opportunity, really special experience. We love your thoughts. We love your feedback. Please keep that coming. You, you guys can reach out at Ryan Flanagan 24 on Twitter. Let us 
us know who you want us to have on the podcast. We said these guys are all telling their stories, their journeys, and, and giving us some insight into their lacrosse experience. So want to hear who you guys want to listen to.